Welcome back to Pink Plus. I'm your host, Savannah Burns. Last night, I got lost in conversation with my next guest speaker, Deidre. What you may know about Deidre is that she is crafty, funny, and kind. What you probably don't know is Deidre grew up with many reasons to have a tough exterior, a distrust of people, and a hateful heart. But despite everything, she remains easy to talk to, a loyal friend, and a good person. Let's meet Deidre. Hi, my name is Deidre, and I suffer from depression, and this is my story. I am the daughter of a retired police officer, and I also have a toxic parent, so I hope I can help somebody that's been in the same situation. So I've known your dad a lot of years. He's a great man. Um, I didn't meet you until, what, high school, I think, is when you came to live in Tonopah? Yes, junior year of high school. Okay. Um, and then not too long ago, oh, well, I guess it's been, what, four years ago? About three and a half years. Um, your dad was in a, an accident um, yes. involving another vehicle. Do you want to tell us about that? Um, he was directing traffic um, for a truck that was on fire on their side of the road. And I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, somebody wasn't paying attention. <laughs> And they hit him. Um, he was in in Tonopah. We don't have emergency services, so he had to ride in an ambulance for almost two hours before he could get into a helicopter to take in, um, be taken to ICU. And he suffered a few different um, brain injuries and brain bleeds, and so he was in the hospital for seven months total um but it was first couple months he wasn't even awake it took a while for him to wake up we didn't even know he was going to make it and so he's very lucky to have made it and be with us today definitely uh he was in a coma what seemed like forever and not really making any progress or anything and it just kind of kept getting worse and then then he got better really quickly yeah and is now thriving and doing well Yes. Yeah. Thank God. He, was, he was forced to retire because of it, um, because of the di- disabilities that came along with it, um, with traumatic brain injury. It's it definitely uh, has a huge effect, um, but he's happy now. So he's he gets to do what he loves at home, which is good. Perfect. Um, so who did you lean on when you were going through that? Um, honestly, nobody. Um, I tried. I tried to lean on my husband as much as I could, but my own mentality and my own self, um, I kind of talked myself out of it and basically told myself that I couldn't lean on him and I shut everybody out. Um, I think it's just kind of who I am. I've always been, you know, everybody has a fight or flight and I've always since a child learned to flight, just leave. And so I shut down completely and I shut him out. And um, he even told me a few times, he's like, I was, I was definitely sure that I lost you. And it wasn't lost to anybody else. It wasn't lost. um, I was going to leave him. It was, I was not physically, I was not mentally there at all. I was numb to the world. Um, I couldn't I I couldn't focus I couldn't eat I couldn't um get out of bed 
the day after his accident, I went to go see him. But the day after that, I went home and I literally slept all day. My husband made me food and it sat on the table for three days untouched. And then I slept for a day or two until he made me get out of bed. And he's like, we're going back down to Vegas. We're going to go see him again. He's like, you've got to get out of bed. You can't, you know. Um, so, yeah, I just, I shut everybody out. Did that spiral into a depression or was that normal grieving, do you think? Um, I grieved like that before. Or like whenever whenever something traumatic would happen, I would kind of get like that, but not to that extent. I've never, I had never been to that extent. And honestly, you know, I always hear like people say, oh, you know, you suffer from depression or anxiety, or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. But until that moment, I never truly understood what depression entailed. Um... But somebody had asked, thank God I had this woman in my life that like treated me as her own daughter. She took my kids so that I could go see my dad and she kept them for the entire week. And it was the first time I had ever been away from my kids for even a night. But um, in that moment, it was like, I couldn't care for them. Um, I couldn't even care for myself. So it was what it was and that's how it went. And she had my kids and she was asking me, how you feeling today? And I was like, I can't eat. I left the stuff on the table. I slept literally all day and we're going to go back to Vegas to see dad again because they were going to take him out of the medically induced coma to see if he would wake up. And she she told me, she's like, you you're depressed you are like extremely depressed. And I was like, okay, maybe like, yeah, like this is killing me. I get that. But what is that label? You know, what does that entail? And so as the time went on, I kind of started researching it more. And I started, you know, you see the things online or whatever that say, um, you know, depression isn't just sobbing and crying or whatever. It's being unable to get out of bed, unable to eat and all of those things. And I started to realize that that is, that was what I was going through. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things about depression is how debilitating it is. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realize like, it's not some, I mean, you were going through grieving. So obviously this was a situation for you, like just laying in bed and crying and um, being so scared about the outcome with your dad. But Mm -hmm. People that have depression that aren't going through something traumatic like that. Um, depression looks a lot like I can't take a shower. It seems mm-hmm. impossible for me to take a shower. Yes, that's a very mundane task and I'm fully capable of taking a shower, but I can't will myself into the bathroom. I can't mm-hmm. make myself start a shower. Yeah. Um, so thank God you had somebody that recognized those signs in you in order mm-hmm. to kind of put that seed in your mind. Like, oh, maybe this is yeah. what that is. Yeah. Um, after she had mentioned that and when I started coping with the situation a little bit better, um, I started to really notice different times in life when it would be like that. And I started noticing like, you know, different, you know, you kind of, 
sometimes you wake up in the morning and you can feel like it's just going to be one of those days. I always tell my husband, it's just one of those days. And he kind of knows what that means. It's, it's a bad day. It's a rough day. Depression is trying to take over. And when I had gotten to a slightly better place and started to learn more about it, and me and him actually started talking about it, I started sending him those things. And I was like, if I cannot get out of bed, make me get out. If I can't eat, if I can't shower, put my ass in the shower and turn that water on, you know, and he would, he'd walk in and he'd pick me up and he'd throw me down on like the kitchen counter. And he would look me in the eye and like, we're doing this. You're, we're going places. And he would, you know, let's take the kids to the park. And so when he learned how to help me through it, um, he became extremely like majorly my rock and we're doing this. You're not going to lie in bed all day. And so it changed a lot. Yeah. And it definitely, it depends on, um, not only the person going through depression, but also who your partner is. And it's important, just like you said, how you were able to tell him like, this is what, this is what I need in that moment. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can tell their partner that or their partner is even receptive to that information. Mm-hmm. So for somebody, it might be like, you've got to get me out of bed. I need to be out with people and getting fresh air. And then somebody else might be like, I just need, I need to be alone. I need some food. I need mm-hmm. you to handle the kids so that I can go through this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there'd be times where like at this time he was working, um, at, with the division of forestry. So he was working fires and in my crews. So he always had his phone and I would text him like the simplest thing, like this happened and he would immediately know, okay, you're definitely not handling this well. Or I'd text him like, babe, I need you or whatever the case. And he would call me and he would talk me down and just get me back to reality. And like, it's going to be okay you know, let me hear your thoughts, talk to me about it, stuff like that, so that I wasn't alone. And um, yeah, it it took a while for us to get there because I shut him out for quite a while. And then when um, we kind of got better to, okay, we're going to talk about this. We're going to figure out why, you know, we are here where we're at. Um, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm depressed and I'm struggling with it but I'm learning about it and he's like you know well what did you feel how was it like and I was like I was literally numb to the world I couldn't feel nothing I would space out completely um and then I would tell him like you know but this I'm learning ways to cope with it and those are the ways of I need to get out of bed I need to talk about it I can't just bottle it up I need to talk about it and um so we got a lot better about that. And then we started learning like triggers of other things as well. And he's like, if you learn what a trigger is, you need to tell me so that I know what your triggers are as well. And that helped too. Before AJ, who did you go to with um, your episodes of depression? Nobody. How young can you remember going through this type of thing? Um... Honestly, I've something about depression is it causes a lot of memory loss. 
and I have very bits and pieces of my childhood that I remember. And there's actually a lot that are blanked out. Um, a lot of ages or like time frames are kind of jumbled together. So um, as far as knowing like that I was going through this, I realized in ways that I acted, it was because of trauma and depression. Um, I was you know, people said I was shy and didn't talk to anybody. It was because I was put down and basically given the impression not to speak up and open my mouth and talk or else somebody would be upset and I'd get in trouble or whatever the case. So it was kind of best that I was just, I just kept quiet. Who was it that made you feel like you couldn't speak up for yourself? Uh, my toxic parent. So, um, she, she went through a couple different marriages. They were all abusive in different ways. And it was, if I would speak up and try to defend her, you know, her husband was yelling at her and hitting her. And I, I, I said, stop. I was like, stop, stop. I'm going to call the cops. Stop hitting my mom. I was maybe at this time, I think I was like 12 um stop hitting my mom stop yelling at her and she looked at me and told me shut the fuck up and that was like a okay and that I shit you not that was the last time I ever until adulthood last time I ever spoke up for myself I would speak up for like my brothers or my family or somebody else but I never once after that spoke up for myself it took so much in me to do that in the first place because I had seen abuse for as long as I could remember. So it was better to keep quiet. Otherwise, I'm going to be abused. Um, so for me to actually do that and try to stick up for her and make it stop. And then for her to be the one to tell me to shut up and not do it. I was like, well, I put my foot in the door and that was a big mistake. So never doing that again. Yeah, that's a hard lesson for a 12-year-old to have to learn. Mm-hmm. Were all of her marriages violent or abusive? Um, the ones that I've ever known, yes. Um, I was too young when her and my dad split up to know much about that. Um, but the husband after that, um, he was, I was five when they got together. And he was sexually abusive to me. And I'm pretty sure her as well. I mean, when I walk by a doorway and I see him naked on top of her hold, covering her mouth as she's screaming what does that say you know and I was five or six when I saw that and um a few years ago I asked her about it and she no no no, he would never do that I would have never let him and I'm like well I'm pretty sure I know what I saw and I'll never get that image out of my head and he did it to me so I'm you know it's pretty safe to say what it was. And that was the time where I knew I couldn't talk to her about it. If she's going to lie about him doing it to her, I couldn't talk to her about it. Had so you told her that you had been sexually abused by him? No. Um, when it had happened, um, I think he left when I was like eight, probably. Um that's where ages start to jumble really bad. 
I was too young to really know what was going on. Um, I knew I didn't like it. I tried as hard as I could to avoid it and make sure it wouldn't happen. Um, but, you know, so I knew I didn't like it, but I didn't know that it was wrong. And maybe he told me, you know, maybe it was the, this is our little secret. Don't tell mom. I don't remember. So I never told her when I was young. And then, um, when I became an adult, I didn't realize, and this is going to sound really bad for anybody listening, but I didn't realize that that had happened when I was a kid until I was about 18. Cause it was just blocked from my memory. Um, it was just one of those things. I never thought about my childhood. It didn't matter. I was 18, young and dumb, living the dream, you know? So, um, it, my husband and I were sitting there and we were talking to somebody and the person had made some kind of comment about pedophiles or children being abused. And it was nothing like, it wasn't, it was nothing like bad on his part, but I got extremely defensive and spat back at him. And AJ had looked at, looked at me and he's like, were you abused when you were a kid? And I was like, yeah, I was. And he was literally the first person. I was 18 years old, 13, 13 years after it happened. He was the first person I had ever told. It's kind of a beautiful and also interesting thing that your brain can block that sort of trauma out. Mm -hmm. And then you don't even realize it's a trigger until it's like all kind of coming to the surface. Yeah. And then it's like, suddenly you hear or see something that only makes you think of that moment or that person and it starts bringing more and more memories back and I I I have so many days where I just scream wishing that memory memory never came back you know um but back to what you had said about me trying to tell my mom I tried to tell her when Oh God, it was a few years ago, probably, I don't know, five or six years ago. Um, I tried to tell her and that's when I asked her, I started asking her about him. I was trying to ask how old I was when he left. Cause I was trying to get time frames down. I was trying to figure out when these things had happened. And then I asked her that and she straight up like lied to me and whatever. And I was like, okay, clearly I can't tell you because I didn't tell her in the first place because she's very toxic in the sense of you bring one bad memory up and it's, Oh God, I was the worst mother I know. And she cries and the, the daughter in me feels bad. And I just told my mom she was a terrible person and I feel like a piece of shit and I shouldn't have done that. And it eats me alive. So I, I couldn't bring myself to bring it up until that one day where I got brave enough and I, I was tiptoeing around it. Cause I, how do you bring something like that up? You know? So I was tiptoeing around that. And I asked her, um, that specific question about what he had done to her. And I just immediately like knew she lied. I'm like, she's not, she's not being honest. And I felt like I could not safely tell her what happened to me because of the simple fact of if she's gonna lie about this what is she gonna say to me if I tell her so what goes through my head is 
she's not going to believe me. She's going to call me a liar. She's going to say that I'm making up stories or she's just going to do the guilt trip thing that she does. And I'm a terrible mother, mother. How could I let this happen? Whatever, you know? So I just never told her. Yeah. It's definitely hard to have a healthy conversation with somebody who tries to be the victim rather than hear what you have to say and try to process it. Yes, exactly. And it was always like that. So you get to a point when you, when you've grown up with that mindset and that teaching, you get to a point where, okay, I'm just not going to tell you anything, I guess, you know, and that's kind of where why I always shut people out and why I, I bottle things up the way I do is because I was just raised to not discuss it, not talk about it. And your mom, what kind of relationship did she have with her mom? Um, as far as I knew, she had a decent relationship with her. I do know that there was a few years um, when I was really young that they didn't speak at all. And then, um, you know, they would go through different spouts of they'd get along and then they wouldn't. And then they would. And it was just kind of like really all over the place. My grandfather had died. Oh, my gosh. My son was one. So 2014, I think. And it was of cancer. And he was a super, super crazy, stubborn old man. And he refused to go to the doctor. She's like, you need to go to the doctor. You're not healthy. You're sick. Something's wrong. We need to go. And he refused. And um, there, that had turned in, when he passed, that had turned into a big ordeal with between my mom and my grandma. And so it's just, they, it's like, they're, they're a lot alike, but they're a lot different in some ways too. Um, but I don't know. They just have a really rocky relationship and there for a little while, um, they weren't speaking and stopped speaking to my mom three years ago in August. I stopped returning her messages. I stopped responding and my grandma wasn't talking to her during that time either. And then, uh, right before I moved back in April, she had kind of started talking to her now and then if something would happen and she would think that it was important that everybody knows, then yeah, she would call her and tell her. And so I think they're speaking again. I'm not sure. So it's, it's just all over the place. The toxic behaviors that your mom has, um, is there any chance she could have gotten it from her mom or her dad, or is she kind of one of a kind in the family? No, I think, I definitely think that she did um, get it from her parents. Um, I have three years, two or three years ago, my uncle had called me and he says, we are going to discuss what is going on with you and your mom. Um, She's really upset. You're not talking to her. She doesn't know why. And I want to talk you into having a relationship with her, even if it's guarded, even if it's, if it's got boundaries, you set the rules. Um, and he said, so tell me now why you stopped talking to her. 
And I said, well, you know, it's comes from a very, very long line of stories. Which one do you want first? It was like, do you want the initial one that like put the cherry on the top? He's like, yeah, sure. Start there. And I said, the last time I spoke to her was, um, after dad's accident, when he first got in his accident, she was very supportive. She was there for me. I'm so sorry to hear about what happened. I'm here. If you need anything, I hope, um, he makes it, um, all the, all the nice things that you want to hear the day after your dad is in the hospital. Um, that lasted maybe a week. Okay. Like I said, in the beginning, his accident took a really, really hard toll on me. And come the beginning of August, we were selling raffle tickets to sell some flags. And we were trying to do this to raise money for hospital bills and travel for dad's wife. And all of the money was going to him. We were, you know, AJ was putting in his hard work to make these wood flags. We were not keeping a penny. All of it was going to my dad. Um, that was the first time I smiled after his accident. That was what, two and a half months or so after his accident. Um, I finally felt like I was doing something good. It, I finally felt good about like myself. I was helping. I was, I was doing something that I could while he was in hospital unconscious. Um, I was over the moon when we did the drawing. And we went live on Facebook with it. And it was just this huge thing. And everybody's saying how good we did. We raised well over $700. And it was the, the first good day since his accident. Um, not even 20 minutes after I was raving to AJ about how proud I was of what we did after that drawing, I get a really long message how dare you have feelings about this? How dare you be so depressed and upset that your dad is in the hospital? He was such a piece of shit father. And we, we will back on that. Um, he was never there for you growing up, which was a lie. Um, how, how could you be there for him this way when you were not this way for my husband when he was in the hospital. And this was her latest husband. Um, they had been together, oh my gosh, since 06, end of 05. So it had been a couple years. Um, and at the beginning of this of that year of 2018, he was in the hospital for something. She never told me when he was in there. She didn't tell me till weeks later. Oh, you you didn't care, you know. So, okay, let me back up a little bit. During our relationship, she would message me very happy things and we would talk really well for a while. And then her next message out of the, out of the blue, out of nowhere would be some kind of guilt trip. You, you know, I'm going through a hard time and you're not here for me. My husband's in the hospital. You're not here for me. Um, another one would be an attack of why don't you take care of your brother who's on drugs and homeless in your town. I don't want drugs around my kids. So yeah, I told him to stay out of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then circle back to happy and, oh, you're my beautiful daughter. And I'm so proud of the life that you have. Um, so in one of those guilt trips, it was, you didn't care that JR was in the hospital. You didn't care 
that um, this, that, and the other. She still never told me why he was in the hospital. Still have no idea why he was in there. But I got guilt tripped as to not caring when I didn't know until weeks later. So when dad was in the hospital, it was how could you care about this and not her husband, who I'd lost a relationship with back in 09. Um, so it was on that day, you know, that was like the one guilt trip that I, it was the final straw. I was just like, I can't anymore. Um, we had circled through this over and over and over, especially that year. And it was, I have wrist brace on my wrists and how do you not care about that? And it's like, okay, well, since I could remember, you've always had wrist braces on your wrist because you have carpal tunnel. That's been since I was a very young child. That's nothing new. Um, she even threw my brother into it and I ended up calling my brother. Like, did I force you into something? Did I upset you? Are you mad at me? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, then what is mom saying? And it became, became this big ordeal, ruined my entire day. And finally I had, I looked at AJ and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, there had been times where I said that and then I gave in and I gave her another chance and I tried to build that relationship again and I couldn't do it anymore. So back to the phone call with my uncle, I had told him that and he says, well, you need to build a relationship with her, but have boundaries and you make the rules. Um, basically, you if you guys are talking, then she's not to bring up anything negative. And you guys have a good conversation. And if it goes negative, you hang up. And I was like, I've done that before. Um, when I first told my brother to stay out of my life because he was on drugs and broke my child's heart and didn't care. Um, she always guilted me about that. So I told her like, we're not discussing this anymore. What's done is done. It's over. He's not my problem. He's your son, not mine. I have my own kids to worry about. So let's have a conversation without anything negative. Don't bring up my brother at all. I don't want to talk about it. And she's like, okay, fine. And so she would message me and she would get the conversation going good. And as soon as it got good and it was going good for a good 10 minutes or so, she would attack me. So I was like, you know, I tried the boundaries and she would attack me. He's like, then hang up. And I'm like, yeah, but when that is happening so much, you can only continue doing it for so long. Mm -hmm. And that had been my entire adulthood since I left. I moved out of her house and moved in with my dad when I was 16. And that's what it was. Every, it's weekly, monthly thing. And so that was going on 10 years at that point that I was going through that. And that's, that's too much. I'm done. And it's not healthy for you to, I mean, obviously boundaries are healthy, but for you to put up a boundary that somebody repeatedly crosses mm -hmm. that's that's when it's like it's not worth it's not worth your mental health if they can't conduct themselves like an adult and want to have a mature and healthy conversation with their child then that's that's not your responsibility anymore at that point mm -hmm. they they're not making the effort exactly 
And do you and your uncle have the kind of relationship where he could call you and tell you, hey, you need to talk to your mom? We've always had a good relationship. He, I've always looked up to him. He's always given me really good advice. He's always been there for me. And um, yeah, ki- so yeah, kind of. And I always know that if I see a message from him that says, call me, it's serious. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, yeah, sometimes we'll chat just to say, hey, how you doing? But he's very busy. And so for him to say, hey, call me, you know damn well it's serious and it's probably going to be a two-hour phone call. And is it usually about your mom? Not usually, no. Sometimes it'd be about my brother or sometimes um, it'd be about whatever other situation is going on in the family or whatever. Um, but that one, he was just like, you know, he's like, you you need to figure something out. And um, he had told me that he basically has that relationship with his mom um and so he's like I get where you're coming from and that's you know why I am the way I am or whatever and so we talked a little bit longer and he was like okay you know everything I would say it'd be okay so let this is how we get around that or this is how we get around that so I tell him okay I said okay you clearly haven't heard enough let me go back further And I went clear back to as long as I could remember when I was five and every chance he would try and like talk me out of something. I'd okay, let's tell you more. And by the end of the phone call, he was like, all right, I've learned a lot today and (laughs) I'm not going to call you and ask you to talk to your mom again. Whatever you decide, I have your back. And we both learned a lot about each other that day. Um, I learned that he was the one that called CPS on my mom when I was two years old. Um, so he he has definitely seen her behavior for a very long time. Um, so I don't think he was surprised by a lot of it, even though he did say like, okay, I learned a lot. And now that I know what I know, um, I still don't think he was surprised, as bad as that sounds. That must have taken a lot for him to call on his own sister. So the yeah. situation must have been pretty bad. Yeah. So he went to go see us. Um, I was two. Um, it was about two weeks after we had seen, we were visiting with my dad. And then we had gone back. We lived in Vegas at the time. Um, we had gone back. So if I was two, my oldest brother was 10. So there's four of us between the ages of two and 10. So... We lived in Vegas and he got there and there's, um, all four of us kids were home alone. I know some people might think that a 10 year old is old enough to stay home and watch their siblings. I personally don't think that I would never, um, but we were home alone and he's like, Oh, let's, you know, fix up lunch. What are you doing? Where's mom? Oh, I don't know. Maybe work. Maybe I, you know, couldn't really give a straight answer. Um, the house was filthy, cockroaches all over the place, and he goes to fix us lunch. There's not a drop of food in the cabinets. There's nothing in the cabinets or the fridge. And he's like, this is so unhealthy for you to be living in this when you're this young. So he called CPS. And um, I was just telling AJ the other day, or today, really, um, 
when I was young, I always had nightmares of being pulled away from my mom and I was screaming, crying, saying, no, 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 I want my mom and seeing cockroaches like all over the walls. And I realize now that it was flashbacks of that moment. Um, and I think it took me until now to realize that. But I remember, I always remembered like that vision and I was only two years old. So it's really weird. But um, yeah, so he called CPS. Um, granted, regardless of the fact that we were at my dad's two weeks prior, um, she told the courts that our dads wanted nothing to do with us. They were not in the picture at all. Somehow they believed her. They didn't even look into it. So we went into foster care. And I was separated from my brothers. So I was always alone. Uh, we bounced, all of us bounced from place to place to place. You know, I remember one lady that had several kids and I was like bottom of the totem pole. Nobody cared about me. So I was the one cleaning up after everybody's dirty work. Um, I remember a kid biting me all over my back. A kid pushed me into a cactus. I'm still terrified of cactuses to this day. Um, my brothers, I heard some stories from them, some similar, um, some not so great as well. We even went into one of those like big group homes that like has all the foster kids, like a bunch of kids. And then um, there were a couple other, but I do remember the very last lady that I was with and the last family. My brothers were always together, but I was always separate. Um, but the family that they were with was really good. And the lady I was with was really good. And I have pictures, I still have pictures from my fourth birthday where all of us got together. You know, that family brought my brothers over for my birthday. And I still have pictures of me with that one lady. And we were in foster care from when I was two until I was probably almost five. Touching on your sexual abuse as a child, mm -hmm. do you feel like that's affected your relationships or um, the way that you feel about sex now as an adult? Yes. In what way? Um, and I've even told AJ this as I realize it. Um, certain you can't talk to me you can't um I told and he's not to get like into anything but he's never talked to me during those times but I straight up told him don't ever like ask me if that feels good or anything like that because I will have flashbacks to my childhood um and he never did I just it was one of those things that like hey you wanted to know triggers. Here's a trigger. Um, don't ever ask me to do anything. The sex drive isn't really there. It is. But like when I go through those depressive moments, um, and I mean, and nobody's going to want to when they're depressed, but when any, there are a lot of times where I'm just like, nope, nope. Mm -mm. I can go years without it. And I think it's because trauma. Was the husband that did that to you the only person who's done that to you? Yes. That's so much to process. <laughs> the conversations that you have with your mom, the like it going from happy and healthy and positive to spiraling downhill so fast just seems like it's 
exhausting. It sounds like it's mm-hmm. just such whiplash mm-hmm. that I'm I'm honestly impressed that you had a relationship <laughs> with her as long as you did. Yeah. And I knew it was unhealthy. Um, I told my husband the other day, I was like, I'm pretty, and I was joking when I said it. I was like, I'm pretty sure I got Stockholm syndrome. Um, Stockholm syndrome is where you you love your abuser. Um, it's common in s- abusive sou- spousal relationships. Right before I moved when I was 16, me and her started having a major rough patch. Um, her husband, after the one that sexually abused me, was very physically abusive. He would hit all of us. Um, it was my brother that got it the worst and my mom. I didn't get it as much but now and then I did. Um, but he was very, very physically abusive and he was in our life for quite a while. And then, um, the husband, her latest husband, he was very mentally abusive and me and him had a really good relationship in the beginning, but it lasted probably about a year until he ended up getting, um, put on disability for a heart defect. He had to ended up in the hospital for a bit, kicked us out and just went, onto, you know, what everybody does, what I always quoted when I was little, everybody leaves, everybody that I grow to like leaves. Um, and he kicked us out and he became this just horrid person. And then my mom ended up getting back together with him and he moved him into this itty bitty apartment we ended up moving into. And he was very controlling. He, you know, it was his way or the highway. And he would say that. And so he was very mentally abusive. So when I was 16, things started getting rough with me and my mom and she started hitting me. And that was the first time that she had actually hit me and she was, she was wailing on me. And I started thinking, I was like, okay, so now that you don't have somebody that's physically abusive to you, you have to take it out on me. That's how I felt. So it was only a couple of, it was very, very shortly after that, that my dad had come down for my brother's graduation and he was like, Hey, you should come stay with me for a week or two during the summer so that we could get to know each other. Cause he wasn't in my life during my childhood. This was, I think the second time I had seen my dad in person and I was like, you know what? I really want to. And after a week of being here and seeing what a family is and what love is, I called my mom and said, I know I'm not coming home. And I, you know, I took the flight response and even my dad was like, you're not doing it this way. You're going to go back home and you're going to live with her through the next year of high school. And you're going to think this over, not make a very quick decision. And then we will circle back around. If it's what you want next year, then we'll talk about it. And I was like, no. And I didn't realize this until I was much older. I was terrified to go back home. Cause I was like, if we're getting physical now, I'm, I don't, I don't want to be any part of that. Yeah. So it ended up coming to the conclusion, you know, he ended up letting me stay and it caused so much hate from my mom. She attacked me so much for it. Um, about a year later, summer, this like right as school ended our junior year he's like if you're living with me you're still gonna have a relationship with your mom my dad's fucking amazing okay um he 
he's like, you're going to have this relationship. So you're going to go to your mom's for about a week or two. It's summer, got nothing going on. It's going to happen. So he sent me down there and I was going fine for a little while. Um, until it wasn't, (laughs) um, my stepbrother that was there and there was alcohol involved and we were playing games and we were just having a good family night and he wanted to ask where I moved to. And so when I went to respond, my mom interrupted with, that's the place she abandoned us to. And I was like, we're not doing this. We are having a good family night. We are getting along. We're having a good conversation. Don't do this. Well, it's true. You abandoned us. I was like, okay, I'm a child. I didn't abandon anybody. You're not a hurt puppy. But I was like, like, come on, don't do this. Like, my stepbrother's here. I don't see him often. He doesn't want to see this. Just don't. And she kept it going. So I got up and I went into the back bedroom where my phone was charging. I went to go grab my phone. I was going to call my dad. I couldn't do it. I was going to call my dad. Come get me. She followed me in there, snatched my phone from me. And I was like, let me have my phone. I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to sit here in this situation. And she grabbed me. She shoved me around. Things started getting physical again. And so after that, I was like, I'm never going there again. Sure shit. The next time I went there was only six months later. It was for Christmas. I stayed at my brother's house. I couldn't do it. So I knew it was unhealthy. I avoided it. But, you know, we saw her for Christmas and all was great. Um, And she asked, she's like, you know, you can stay here. There's an extra bedroom. But I was like, nope, because I need to be able to leave. I have to have my own vehicle. I have to not stay the night here. I have to have a time frame. I've got to be able to leave. I'm not staying. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I knew I knew it was unhealthy, but then I would look back on the good times and those good conversations. And then when it would go south, I would, you know, drop to the floor and it would hurt me that much more. And it got to the point of, I told you this was going to happen, you know? Yeah, but it's good times. And then the next time she would message, see, it's good. All is great. And then it would go south again. And I told you it was going to happen. And it just, I never, I never um, let it get to me to the point of, you know, because she's my mom. I have to have a relationship with my mom. I've been bashed so hard for not speaking to my mother by people I don't know. I'm like, well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the trauma that I face, the nightmares that I face. Um, When I get really stressed about her, I have nightmares of the man that sexually abused me. And just recently, I had nightmares of that. And I was trying to take my kids into school and I was crying in the hallways for absolutely no goddamn reason. No reason to cry. But it was one of those days where I could not hold it in. Because I had nightmares all night. When you were living with your dad and he was wanting you to have a good relationship with your mom and go back and see her for summer and that kind of stuff. Um, 
I mean, obviously for a teenage girl to talk to her dad about any sort of sexual abuse and stuff is kind of, it's like a unicorn. It doesn't happen. (laughs) But did he know about it at least getting physical or anything? Did he try to understand why you were so hesitant to go back? Um, I had told him that he didn't know about the sexual abuse. Um, nobody knew about that up until recently. AJ is the only person that knew, and I've still to this until now only told a very, very small handful of people about it. Um, I did tell him that things were getting physical and things weren't great. Um, he did hear about every single moment, um, after I decided to live with him that I had to face with her. Um, because him and my grandfather would have to talk me down from it because I would get so stressed out and overwhelmed and he'd you know it'd be what'd your mom say today what was her message today how did she attack you today let's talk about it and so they had to talk me down so they definitely knew about it um I think it was just a well it's only two weeks so I think it'll be okay I think it was just hoping for the best and just trying to be the better person what, what kind of relationship did your mom and your dad have while you were living with your dad? They didn't. <laughs> um, if they talked at all, it was most likely my mom screaming at him for something. But for the most part, it was, you know, you tell your dad this and whatever. And he was always, like I said, he was freaking amazing. He would always be so civil and just yeah, 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 sounds good. Like, we'll make sure it happens. And we I'll get her down there and she'll see you. And he was always so kind about it, but she was always trying to bite his head off. I think the only time I had ever seen them both civil and mostly just meaning her civil toward him was at my wedding. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Only time I had ever seen her calm around him. Uh, I think I said I was going to backtrack on how she always said that he was such a piece of shit father when we got put into foster care like I said she said that he had no he had no part of our lives he we were there two weeks prior so clearly he was in our life um he didn't know he was sending child support money it was getting cashed so as far he as he knew all was good he tried to make a phone call and phone suddenly didn't work so he's like okay this is a little strange um tried to write a letter and that would get sent back I don't know how the child support checks didn't but um any other form of communication would get bounced back to him so he had no idea where we were he didn't know that we were in foster care until I had moved up here and told him about it and he's like I had no idea and then as soon as we got out of foster care she got married and moved us across moved us across state lines. So she changed her last name and moved us out of state. So he really couldn't find us. Um, he used to tell me stories that of him talking to the courts and they'd be like, We don't know where your kids are. And he's like, What do you mean? What do you mean you don't know where my kids are? And they're like, I, we we don't know. <laughs> so and you know, we went through a rocky patch. Um in when I turned 18 because I was just being a stubborn child and I started to kind of doubt it and 
oh, maybe, maybe, you know, he was just saying that to make me feel better or whatever, you know, after his accident, I, I had so many phone calls from people that knew my dad and knew well enough that I was his daughter, um, just to give me their condolences. And a couple of them I caught, got talking to and they're like, yeah, I I've known your dad since you were a little baby. I met you when you were two. Um, and I was there for him when he couldn't find you. And I saw how overwhelmed, how stressed out and how much that killed him being unable to find you. He couldn't find us until we were 11. I was 11. My brother was 13. And he's like, well, by that point, all you've known is your mom. Couldn't rip you from your mom because you don't know me. And my mom would always tell me that he was, he was awful. He didn't care about us. And she would spread all these lies about him. He didn't care about you. He never tried. Blah, blah, blah. Suddenly, you know, um, something happens in his life and suddenly he cares and suddenly he wants to talk to you. And he would make all these trips, like plans to come see us and she wouldn't let him. Um, we wrote letters here and there, but I didn't really know my dad because my mom kept him from me. And so I met him once when I was 11 and then, um, I saw him the other time when I was 16, when he went down from my brother's graduation. And those were the only two times I saw him before I moved up here. How did you guys reconnect after being apart for so long? What was that like? It was amazing. Um, sorry, girl. You like came up again. here and it was just a visit. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, start um, over after it was amazing. When I first got to Tonopah and like I said, it was full intentions of just staying there for a week or two. You know, at first, you know, how do you walk up and just have a conversation with somebody that you barely know? But he was doing some work in the back, in the backyard. And he was just like, oh, look at what I'm doing. I'm building this deck and this little hangout area. And just kind of, it started with just look at my projects and let me show you around the house or whatever. And it, it changed my life. So when he got in his accident, the first time I went to go see him, I, I couldn't say anything. I'm like, what do you say to somebody that's unconscious? You know, people, people speak out loud. They talk to, you know, the Lord out loud or whatever. I can't do that. So I'm like, how do you speak to somebody that I was like, what do you say? And the first thing that I told him, I was like, you just got in my life. You can't leave now. My kids are barely three. Oh gosh. Let's see. That was 2018. So two and five, you've got to watch your grandbabies grow up. We just built this amazing relationship. You've barely been in my life. You've, you're going to wake up. <laughs> you're going to be here. You're not, you're not going to leave me. And I told him, I know you want to see grandpa. I know I, I do too. We all miss him, but it's not your time. You need to be here with us. You need to be here with your wife. You need to be here with your grandkids. You cannot leave me now. And as I stated before, my childhood motto to myself was everybody leaves. Everybody that I grow relationship with, everybody that I grow to love leaves, whether they choose to or my mom takes us away from them or whatever the case may be they're gone. You know, the relationship always ends. It never lasts. 
And so I told him, I was like, this isn't the case where everybody leaves. You're not leaving me. And I felt so selfish and it sounds really selfish saying it now, but I was, I was daddy's little girl being a selfish little brat, not wanting my dad to leave. (laughs) And so the messages you got from your mom after the accident and the, the fundraiser and stuff that you guys did, that was the last time that you had responded back to her. Yes. Yep. And in these three years, she still cycles through her messages. And um, I, by that point, I've kind of learned to not let it bother me because I've, I've realized the cycle. Um, it'll be a really happy message. And oh my gosh, I hope you're doing great. Look at these pictures I was going through. You're so beautiful. And I'm so happy to have raised such an amazing daughter and wife and mother. And then it would be, well, I know you know this and this about um, your brother's situation. And you're just, maybe that's why you're just not talking to me is because you know something about his situation that you're not telling me. And, you know, and then it'd go into a guilt trip of, poor me I'm so depressed and I lost my job and I rolled my husband's truck and that was intentionally so no I didn't care I'm not going to care when you intentionally do it for attention and then you basically tell me that you did it for attention um so she'll guilt trip me and you know well I'm going through this hard time and you're not there for me and I was always there for you And then she would go into full on attack where she's calling me a piece of shit and a terrible person. And, and I, you know, I'd brush off the attack because I'm like, just wait, there's, there'll be another one. It'll be happy again. And she'll kiss my ass again. Um, and then it, so recently we've gotten the attack and we've cycled through, um, It was, I can't believe the person that you've become. You used to be so much about family, which I was. I've always been about family and I still am, but not toxic family. Um, And I can't, I, I didn't raise you this way. And you have become such a huge disappointment. I was like, okay. All right. So then a little bit later, it's, you know, I really want to see you and I miss you. And I'm just, you're still so beautiful. And then the guilt trip comes of, oh, I spun out and, you know, this and this happened and I really needed you, but maybe you should just pray that I don't make it next time. Yeah. That one threw me for a loop. (laughs) Okay. I mean, so all the while she's sending these messages, she's not getting a response. So she's talking to herself, going through this cycle Mm -hmm. with no sort of, I mean, you're not giving her anything. Nope. No reaction, no response, no, no bubbles typing, nothing. Um, she, she's gone through accusing AJ of abusing me, which that man would never. Which is hilarious if you know AJ. (laughs) Yes. Um, he is my rock. He is, um, he, I did a vendor event back in July and this is off topic. I'm sorry. 
I did a vendor event back in July and it was for police officers, officers, first responders, firefighters, etc. And there were a couple guest speakers and there was one that she was talking about her husband who was a police officer who had gotten hurt on duty and how the system totally fucked him and workman's comp didn't do shit for him and the you know the county that he was working for at the time didn't do shit for him and it started like it brought me back to my dad's accident and I've gotten to a point where most of the time I can talk about his accident without crying um it kind of varies (laughs) but um it listening to her story I started bawling my back was turned to him I didn't make a sound I didn't move and when it was over and I didn't turn around he says, babe, come here. And I can't look at him when I'm upset because if I look into those big old eyes, I will break down and cry. So I didn't look at him and I went and he held me tight as I cried on his shoulder. He didn't, he knew I was crying before anybody else could have been able to tell I was crying. Um, he'll walk by me if I'm having a conversation with somebody and he's like, nope, nope, no. Smile. If you're going to have this conversation, you're going to smile. And he'll do goofy little things to make me smile. He is my rock. Um, He would never hurt me. (laughs) So it was, oh my gosh, probably almost two years ago, one of her messages were, are you being abused? If you're being abused, you can tell me. It'll stay just between us and we can talk about it and we can get you in a better place. And it's like, are you implying that my husband's abusing me? And also, you actually were abused as a child, and she wanted no part of talking about that. Yeah, exactly. And I, being abused as a child, I always told myself, I will never put myself in that situation. I will never be in an abusive relationship. Um, I grew up around drugs, watching drugs, seeing them on my table, um, and told myself I was never going to do drugs. I've never smoked a cigarette, never smoked weed, because weed is what started my brother on drugs it's I watched people go from weed to hardcore drugs and I was like nope you know and I lived in California for three years everybody did it and a lot of people I hung out with did it and they tried to peer pressure me into it and I was like nope you know it's I've stayed very strong with if I saw it or went through in my childhood I'm not doing it myself I'm not putting myself in that situation Um, and my brother and I will talk about it now and then he called me one time a few years ago and he was like, Hey, have you seen this show? And for the life of me, I can't remember what show it was. And I, but I said, no, because I've heard that it's inappropriate and I could never try to watch a show because my kids would always come interrupt. So if it was inappropriate, I didn't even try because my kids were going to catch a glimpse of it. So, um, I was like, no, cause I heard it was inappropriate, but I've heard it's good. He's like, I can't watch it. He's like me and my wife tried to sit down and watch it today. And some things that happened brought me flashbacks of my childhood and it brought back trauma that I could not watch this show. And he's like, you know, did you know that, you know, when we were, did, do you remember helping the guy in the ice cream truck? And I was like, yeah, we were delivering ice cream. And he's like, do you remember that we were also helping him with his laundry? And I was like, yeah, that was really weird. And he's like, did you realize we were helping the dude deliver drugs? And I was like, 
no. And he's like, did you also ever consider the fact that we'd never met the guy until then? And I was like, yeah, that was weird too. And he's like, yeah, like our childhood, our childhood was fucked up. I was like, damn. (laughs) And I actually sat down AJ after that phone call. And I was like, so I learned some things. (laughs) Let's, let's have story time. Not to get too much, but my drug addict brother, he got a girl pregnant who was on drugs and the baby died. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's what happens when you're on drugs. You give birth to a baby. It's not going to make it. Um, well, apparently there's talk that the baby might be alive and she thinks that my dad knew something about it before his accident. Um, but you know, he can't remember now because he lost a lot of his memory from before the accident. And so, yeah, one of her messages was, you have that baby. You're raising that baby or you're seeing that baby. You're, you're, you're in the baby's life. That's why you're not talking to us. Hmm. What? I know nothing about no such baby. <laughs> to turn such a tragedy uh, yeah, into this and crazy it... conspiracy, especially in such a, a tiny town, people would know if you were harboring a baby. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, and I, I'm all about showing my kids off to everybody that I know I think somebody would know if I had another one and they look so much alike yeah so if you're harboring one you're definitely harboring two because your kids are related for sure yeah (laughs) Yeah. um so they've just been really off the wall and I'll look at them and I'm just like oh my god are you drunk is this one of your drunk messages because I very well could be drunk um During the summer, though, she had a field day going through pictures and was sending me all kinds of pictures. You were so beautiful as a baby, and it was so nice when you were all home with me. And one of those pictures included her ex-husband with his arm around my waist. And I was like, we're done here. No more. Quit. Silence my phone. No. Do you think your mother has a mental illness i truly think that she is bipolar that's exactly (laughs) where i was going with that yeah and you can see it you can see it in the messages in how you know even since she called me a disappointment she still said that she wanted to see me and she's still oh i love you so much my beautiful baby girl I'm like, really? Because you hated me a month ago. Yeah, the starting off with the good conversation and then immediately spiraling, exploding to the ground and then trying to kind of come back up from that is like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it sounds like classic bipolar. Like she will feel a high or people with bipolar um, disorder will feel a high when everyone around them feels Mm -hmm. low, when they've destroyed Mm -hmm. everyone else in the room. They get like this mania and mm-hmm. it's almost like euphoric. And do you think she's ever tried to seek help? No. <laughs> you don't think either... she like even sees a problem with this? No. Um, I've, I've wondered if she's been on drugs again. Um, she's gotten very, very skinny since really since God, 
2015 or so probably so we thought that she was doing drugs because she was getting really skinny she's like well I'm just really stressed out and that's when like her husband was like really really mentally abusive because my brother would kind of tell me about it he told me in the way of her last her okay so the one who sexually abused me was her third husband so her fourth husband the one that was physically abusive um he was you know in our lives for a little while and he was mostly physically abusive to my brother and it was just me and my younger like the youngest of the three brothers that I have in the home so the older two were already moved out and so we would always seek help with my oldest brother I'm like you're not in the house you can't help us what do we do he gave us a crowbar wow he's not gonna see it and if he comes out you use it it's self-defense and I was like okay so the next time he came at us we went for the crowbar crowbar is gone somebody found the crowbar um so around that point my brother told my mom I'm out I'm if you bring him back to this house I'm leaving the cops were called literally every night to the house because of noise disturbance because screaming fighting and they'd come in and they'd take pictures of all the dishes broken and the table that my brother he slammed my brother on. um so i'm surprised that cps was never called because they were literally at our, at our house every night um so finally you know they they would escort him out go take a breather leave for the night whatever so my brother told my mom like for one he doesn't live here um he'd come in here and abuse us and then leave whatever he was living in hotels around town so he's like if you let him back in this house i'm leaving and sure shit, the next day we come home, he's in the house, like all, all's fine. And my brother left. So my mom's pissed. Where's your brother at? Where's your brother at? Driving around town looking for him. Brother ran away. And I was like, well, he kind of, he gave you a warning. Um, he went to our oldest brother's house and she went there. Is he here? He's like, no, he's not here. Because he knew damn well. He's like, I'm not going to hand him over to you. You had, you had your chance to choose your husband over your kids and somebody recent, like in the last four years, somebody had told me, somebody who knew her, somebody in the family had told me that to her, to her, we were trophies. She would put us on the shelf and let us get dusty because she didn't, she didn't care about us. She didn't need us. But then when it was convenient and she needed, you know, the man in her life or the situation or the whatever, she'd pull us down and dust us off and show us off. And then as soon as she got what she wanted, she'd put us back on the shelf to get dusty. And that's when I started to realize how true that was. Um, so she chose her husband over us. So a few years ago when we thought that she was doing drugs and she was saying it was stress, my brother was telling me, uh, I'm pretty sure her husband is abusing her and if he's not laying a hand on her then it's just really really bad mental abuse and he's saying the worst possible things to her and telling her that she's just a piece of garbage and she should end her life and just telling her the worst things ever and so he told her mom if you bring him back to your into your life we don't have a relationship anymore he's like this is the same situation with mike if you bring him back, we're done. And sure, sure, she fucking brought him back. And so my brother didn't speak to her for a while. Um, 
and you know they they always fix their relationships whatever but um it's always she's always chosen the men over the kids that makes me sad for her if if this is a bipolar disorder thing like we kind of suspect it is and as somebody who loves somebody with bipolar disorder i can't even imagine the internal mental battle that goes on with them every day they're basically fighting themselves all the time mm-hmm. so then to have a spouse who's also contributing to that and also kind of putting a bug in her ear like you need to end your life you're not anything that's got to be really tough um mm-hmm. and I don't know what part of the disease is um forming unhealthy relationships to people mm-hmm so maybe it's just really hard for her to leave or maybe she has Stockholm's like you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, when I had talked to my uncle and learned a lot, um, he had told me that she was also sexually abused as a child. And I knew that she was by her one of her other brothers. And because that was one that I'd never met. And she's like, you're never going to meet him because he's a terrible person. And she told me why. And so he basically said, because I was like, she doesn't know that I was sexually abused. Um, I tried to tell her she didn't, you know, she basically gave me the vibe that I wasn't safe to tell her. And he's like, I guarantee you she knew because she knows men like that because she's she grew up with it and she seeks those kind of men. She seeks out the abusive ones. Every man in her life has been abusive in some way. Which, yeah, it's it's sad, but if your kids are telling you how bad it is and you're going to lose your kids if you continue in it, I would think that that would be enough to get out. You know, I remember so much of my childhood um, with her physically abusive husband where we would try to leave and she would grab her purse and we'd try and get in the car and he would yank her purse out of the way and everything go flying in the bushes. Now we have to find the car keys. And by the time we found the car keys, their situation was resolved and okay, we can stay home for tonight. You know, it's not so bad. And there were, you know, there were times that we tried to leave, but no matter what, she would always go back. And so, yeah, maybe it is the Stockholm syndrome. I don't know, but I think I would think myself, if you're going to lose your kids over it, I would definitely choose my kids. I would find some way to get out of it. Because my kids are more important. Absolutely. They for sure are. But you also are mentally healthy. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. aside from the depression, it's hard. I think this way all the time. I'm like, well, I would never do that. But it's also because we, we think normally or. Yeah. Depends on how you ask, I guess. (laughs) Um, We don't deal with those battles. So we can't, we can't like imagine why somebody would make those kind of decisions you know (laughs) and it's so hard with bipolar disorder because you can't just slap that diagnosis on on every bad thing that they say or do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like at some point the disease ends and then being an asshole begins Mm -hmm. and it's hard to find out where that line is like is this the disease talking is this the disease or the Mm -hmm. disorder like taking us on this crazy train or mm-hmm. is this their true colors? And am I really dealing with somebody who's lucid right now and telling me how they feel? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's so hard. Like, 
every spiral that I've ever went through with somebody with bipolar, it's like, I, I can't tell. I don't know what's going on. I can't, Mm -hmm. I'm not in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And I often seek help from my uncle ever since that phone call. If I've got questions or whatever, I call him and he's like, honestly, I don't know what triggers these kind of messages from her. And, um, he's like, but don't respond because she feeds off of it. That is what she's looking for. Um, any kind of response is going to open that door for more and for her to try to like rebuild the relationship. And he's like, and if it does great, but keep your walls up because it's going to go down South again. And it's going to spiral back down um, and get negative again. He's like, so you're better off just not responding. He's like, but I don't know what triggers it. I don't know what causes it or where it comes from. And he's like, and I really, I wish I knew what was going through her head because that is insane. He's like, some of these like things that she says to you is completely insane. And it just makes me wonder what's going through her head to cause her to talk to her child like that. Yeah. And the the part of her messaging you like just to uh, elicit a response Mm -hmm. no matter what kind of response it may be she's just Mm -hmm. satisfied with you responding sounds like a touch of narcissism but at that point like don't you get tired of talking to yourself yeah you're not getting a response so why keep trying exactly and I definitely think there's a very very high narcissist side there um, because of that, because it's, you're going to talk to me, you're going to, you know, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you're going, you know, I'm going to get a response. And she'll say the most heartfelt, sweet things and the most hateful, like, where did that come from things? And it's, well, that didn't work. So let's try this basically is how I see it. Is she the same way with your brothers? No. No. <laughs> it's a special. Yeah, I'm just special. Um, I was I always grew up being called like, you know, the spoiled little brat, the the only girl that gets her way all the time. Um, stuff like that. Um, we all knew my oldest brother was the favorite, always. Now I'm not so sure. Um, I on I think I love my brothers, two of my brothers to death. And so I don't mean this in a terrible way, but I think that they are just such mama's boys that she wouldn't talk to them this way because they, you know, they're up her alley and they talk to her and they have a relationship with her. Um, I'm not sure, but yeah, she, I've never seen her act this way or talk this way to any of the boys. If they were to stand up for themselves, if they were to say, you know, Hey, you're acting a little crazy or I'm not buying your story or whatever the case may be. Do you think that she, would behave towards them the same way that she is with you? No. No? I think she would always change her act and try and, you know, be the the better version of herself. And because my brother that lives in California with her, um, he has definitely, you know, he's always the one that's, if 
he treats you this way. If you keep bringing this man in your life, I'm leaving. Um, there was a time where he also suspected that she was on drugs. He's like, you're not coming around my kids. It's unhealthy. And every single time she's just gotten her act together. Cause next thing I know, it's like, Oh, m- me and mom are great now. And so the, the hateful part of the relationship there has never lasted because she always gets her act together and makes things right. And however she does, I don't think he's ever really said much about her talking negatively to him it's he sees the way that she acts or the way she's treated and he'll say something but I don't think she's ever spun back on him for it do your brothers understand why you don't have a very good relationship with her like do they see those parts of her I tell them often um I'm not speaking to her we're you know like before I like completely cut ties with her it would be me and mom are fighting this is what happened I don't want to see her um and the last time that it happened before like the final straw we were in California and my brother was watching my kids because we were going somewhere for Mother's Day and it was I don't want her around my kids I don't want to see her she pissed me off and that was one of the times where I was like I'm done you know this is the final straw when I got back she was there and I was like okay like thanks for completely disrespecting my boundaries but that Stockholm side came in and she was oh my baby girl and I was like you know what I was really happy to see you because the visit was great you know I forgot all about the hate and the mad. And so that was one of those times that, yeah, seeing her right then, it kind of flipped things upside down the way that I I didn't want it to go. Um, And so I've talked. So like this last Christmas, I saw my brother and I was like, like, I legit am not talking to her. And the only reason we ended up seeing him was she was sick. And he's like, well, our plans with her changed so we can come over. And I was like, good, as long as she's not coming. He's like, well, she's sick. That's why our plans changed. Because I had I had him reiterate it like three different times. Because I was like, I just want to be sure that this, that I'm not going to get no sneak attack. You know. Um, and we didn't talk too much about it. He'll call me now and then. Like when she rolled her husband's truck a couple years ago. He called me and he's like, she's going down a destructive path. If she does this again, then, and she doesn't make it, you're going to regret not talking to her. And I was like, no, I won't. I'm not speaking to her. I'm done. Like, I'm not doing it. It's not worth the stress. And she did this for attention. You straight up told me that it was for attention to piss off her husband and whatever else. I'm not going to care about that. I'm not going to bend over backwards and change the strength that I've built so hard to gain, I'm not going to drop that because she is seeking attention. That's exactly what she wants. And I'm not going to even give it to her. Um, and so there's very often times where he'll try and talk me into, you know, you need to change your ways. You need to speak to her. And then me and him would go months without talking because I'd get pissed and like, no, stop trying to convince me not to and or convince me to when I'm not going to like I'm not going back on what I've built so hard for 
Yeah, and that's not fair to put that on you um, when you worked so hard to create boundaries and to stick up mm-hmm. for yourself and to protect your family mm-hmm. to then try to pressure you into sacrificing what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that's I'm like, and I don't know your brother. It probably comes from um, good intentions, but yeah. Then it's really hard to have a relationship with him too, because it's like mm-hmm. you're obviously protecting her over. And he doesn't know everything I've been through, and that's the hard part about it. Um, I haven't even told my own family that I've been sexually abused because I don't know how. And with how much they have sided with mom and believed all of her stories, part of me honestly thinks that they won't believe me. And so I am terrified to tell them. And I almost did one year. We went down to see him. And on the whole way down there, I was telling my husband, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him. We are going to sit down. We're going to have this conversation. And I didn't. How I backed do you out. they would react to it? I... I don't know. I try and think of like how I think they would. And it's like, part of me thinks that, oh, you're just trying to get attention or you're just trying to make mom look bad or we don't believe you or whatever. And then part of me does, does think like, oh, maybe they will like, okay, I understand you a little bit more and whatever. So I flip flop on it so much that I don't know. Do you think it could have happened to them also? No. No? Just the physical part? Just the physical part, because I watched that. Um, I watched my brother get hit and thrown around. But the sexual part, the way that this man talked to me, I know damn well he wasn't interested in the boys. And I remember the whole time, the, the worst part about it is my mom made us call him dad. I was only five. I didn't know. I didn't know my real dad. As far as I knew, he was dad. So we all called him dad. And it was, I was the youngest and the only girl. So I was a spoiled little brat and got everything I wanted. But they don't understand that the reason I got whatever I wanted was because he was getting what he wanted. Yeah, you were paying a price for it. Exactly. The way, you know, and I wonder, he's got two kids of his own. And his daughter's around my age. And it, ever since, like, I started learning triggers and everything like that about it, I wonder if it happened to his daughter. And I wonder if she knows that this is the kind of man he is. And then I go through the abuse trauma of, am I the only person that this happened to by this man? Or were there others? Does anybody know what kind of man this is? Did you having to call him dad ever create any mental issues um with your relationship with your actual dad did it ever become a connection for you that that behavior was like normal or expected of a father-daughter relationship or had you already kind of figured out that that was not normal by the time I think by that time I had figured out that it was not normal um Because, like I said, when it was happening, I knew I didn't like it, you know. Um, I had gone to Girl Scout camp before second grade, and I was gone for a week. And I was a mama's girl. I was all, my mom was my best friend. She was the only person I knew, other than my brothers. My brothers were mean to me. 
And so I got back after this week long trip and she was loading up to go to a wrestling meet for my older brother out of town. Oh, we're going to be gone for the weekend. Your brother has a wrestling competition. And I'm like, well, where's my bag? But your daddy misses you so much. And I was like, but mom, I miss you. I literally cried every night for you. Don't leave me, especially here with him. I was like, I don't want to stay here. I want to go with you. But your daddy misses you so much. You need, you need to spend some time with him. And that fucked me up mentally. <laughs> um, shit like that. And so now, like, when I look back on it, and now that I have a relationship with my dad, I, I kind of, I beat myself up for it. Because I'm like, I called him another man dad. And a monster at that. And I'm like, I try and, you know, reassure myself. I'm like, okay, I was, I was very, very young. I didn't know any better. But I called, I called somebody else dad. I feel like that's like betrayal to my, my dad. And my dad's like my rock. He's, you know, one of my best friends. I love him to death. Um, And so, yeah, that, that messes me up really bad. Have you told your dad that that's how you feel? That you beat yourself up about it? Because I know your dad and I can already picture him telling you <laughs> that that's crazy um, to beat yourself up over that. <laughs> no, because I try really hard not to talk about that man. The only person I've ever talked about that man to was my husband. Um, I never even mentioned literally anything about him to anybody. Um, I did, however... About two weeks prior to my dad's accident, um, and it was very, it was, I think it was about two weeks prior to his accident. I think it was Mother's Day, so I guess that was a week. Anyway, um, he had come over, and he was hanging out at the house, and we were talking, and he probably doesn't remember this because he forgot a lot about prior to his accident, probably that whole year before his accident he lost memory of, Um but I sat him down and I was, I was like, dad, I'm sorry. He's like, for what? I was like, I am so sorry that I was such a shithead for a teenager. I moved into your house and I wrecked your fucking world and I was awful. And he's like, you were a teenager. That's what teenagers do. And I was like, no, it was different because my entire childhood, I didn't have rules. I walked the streets. I walked clear across town when I was like eight. Um, I never had a curfew. I was always gone, you know, out of the house was better. I was safer out there. So I was always out. Um, I, I didn't have rules. So when I moved into your house and I had rules, I didn't like it. I wasn't used to it. That was new. And that was not cool. <laughs> I spent my entire life having no rules what do you mean you're going to suddenly give me rules? Especially and so, yeah. at, in a teenage, the teenage phase where having rules is already kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, and so I, I apologize. And I was like, I realize now that I acted out because I didn't like what I was told. And then after that, you know, when it got to be too much of being told what to do, I did my flight response and I left because that's what I do. Because everybody leaves, right? And so, yeah, I sat him down and I apologized. And 
I wish I could again. I, I probably should again since he doesn't remember the last time <laughs> because I was just, I was a terror. It's so crazy how you can have two completely different households, right? So you can have mm-hmm. one that's very laid back. Um, like you said, you didn't have any rules. Uh, you could wander the streets if you wanted. And that's all fine and great. Then you have this house that's like, no, we have a curfew. You'll have chores. You have to talk to mm-hmm. us this way. You have to be in the house at this time, whatever. And had it not been for the house that kept you straight, you wouldn't have this beautiful life that you have. You wouldn't have the husband <laughs> that's a rock for you or your two boys or your small business or all that stuff. Like kids really thrive on having boundaries. Mm-hmm. And then it completely changes the course of your life. Yeah. And he made me get a job and I hated it. Especially, I mean, it was two weeks after I had my appendix removed. So I was like livid with him. And I was like, you're, you know, you're the worst person in the world who makes your, their daughter get a job, you know, as that teenager. And, um, but you know what? I will, I will forever clean my house damn good because of that job. And I had that job for nine and a half years. Or eight and a half years. I'm sorry. I left and then had a different job after. I had that that exact job for eight and a half years. So, you know, he pushed me into, like, becoming a completely different and better person. He saved my life. And, you know, I owe him that. And I think that's why, like, his accident, another reason why his accident had such a huge toll on me is, like, that man changed my life and he saved it. And I wouldn't have this life if it wasn't for him. For sure. Is there anything you want to say to someone who might be going through a toxic relationship with a parent? It does not matter if they are blood or not. Don't let anybody talk down to you for disowning family. Um, If you have a toxic family member, especially a parent, walk away from them. Stop the communication I promise you, it is so much healthier and your stress levels will be so much more down. Like you're, you're going to live a happier life because you're not constantly going through the ups and downs and the battles and don't let anybody make you feel guilty about that. And when they do have their nice moments where they want to try and sweet talk you into back, back into a relationship, don't give in. Remember the bad times, go back. And if you have to. Ask somebody that knows your situation, whether your spouse or whoever, say, remind me why I am here. Remind me why I walked away. And so that I can stay away. Because don't give in to their nice, because that bad is going to come out again. That's good advice. Hopefully. (laughs) The best I got. Unhealthy relationships can look like a lot of different things. If something makes you feel uncomfortable, trust your gut. Your intuition will tell you when something isn't right. I appreciate Deidre for sharing her story with me. It was meaningful, heartbreaking, and brave, and I'll always cherish our talk. Special thanks to Sergeant Dwayne Downing for his many years of service to the Nye County Sheriff's Office and for being the dad who saved my friend's life. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.